0: This is that if God is perfect then God's jealousy is not some sort of insecurity but God's jealousy is part of his perfections because God knows that when we worship God who is the only true God in the right way all of the blessings that God wants to be a part of our life We'll follow that. But if we choose to either not worship the true and living God or worship the true and living God in a false way, God cannot bestow upon us all the blessings that he created for us.
1: The Bible tells us that God is jealous. This, to our finite minds, makes us think of the negative connotations of this word. However, Pastor Daniel reveals in today's message how this jealousy is a benefit to us. God has an intense love and devotion to us. His creation wants to bless us fully. In order for this to happen, though, we need to choose to focus our attention on God exclusively, not on what is offered to us in the world. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his continuing study, The Big Ten.
0: Open up in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. Deuteronomy, chapter 5, as we're continuing this study here through the Bible, through the book of Deuteronomy. We keep saying it over and over again in this series that even the name Deuteronomy, it's not a phrase that people use much anymore. And literally, Deutero, it's, it's the word second, and then namos in the Greek is the word for law. And so Deuteronomy is the second telling of the law. You have to think that when God delivered the children of um, Israel from Egypt by his mighty hand, using Moses as the mediator for that, when they left Egypt, they found themselves on Mount Sinai and God gave to the children of Israel the law, the law of Moses, 613 complete commandments, right? And All the children of Israel said, yeah, we're going to follow this law. And then as you read in the book of Exodus and in the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers, what you find is that the children of Israel do a really lousy job of keeping all of those laws. And so much so that the entire generation who was over the age of 20 who left Egypt at the time of that great exodus, they all died in the wilderness because they would not enter the promised land. So now Moses has this emerging generation. They're on the edge of the promised land and it's almost time for Moses to die because he's not going into the promised land either. And so it's like, I'm gonna explain to you all the law that I gave to your parents. I'm gonna explain it to you so that you may go on into the land and prosper. Now, in chapter five, As he begins to retell the entire law, right, we begin with the Ten Commandments again. That's why we're calling this series Refresh. Because in a sense, Moses is giving a refresher course. He already taught them all this stuff. He already received it from the Lord and shared it with the people. Now I'm going to give you a refresher course before you go into the Promised Land. And so in the retelling of the entire law, all 613-some commandments that we get, of course you have to begin with the Big Ten, The Ten Commandments, right? Because the Ten Commandments are unique out of the 613 Commandments because they were the commandments that God wrote with his own finger on two tablets of stone and handed them to Moses. So there's a uniqueness to the Ten Commandments, what I like to call the Big Ten. And so we're looking at this again, and it was funny because when we gathered last time, when I was teaching, I only made it through one of the Big Ten, And so it was really funny this week because the discussion began, how long is it going to take Fusco to make it through the big 10 again? And the running theory was it's going to take us 10 messages to make through the 10 commandments and they may be right, but we'll see. So we're going to be picking up here in Deuteronomy chapter 5 in verse 8. Now, I don't want to go back over the first commandment again, but you have to remember that the commandments function in such a way that the first tablet of the law, the first four commandments are about the way we are to relate with God, and then the rest of the commandments are how we're supposed to relate with other people. So it's upward and outward. Everybody lives in relation to God, Relation to yourself and relation to the world around you. And so in each one in our Art of Living series, we're talking about how do we live upward and love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And because we love God and God loves us, then how do we live inward? How do we view ourselves and how do we build our own identities? And then how do we live outward in the world as we love our neighbors, as we love ourselves? And so in the same way, the law, it begins with the vertical access. Who is God and what does God require? And once the vertical access between a person and God is in line, then because of who God is, how do we live on the horizontal axis out into the world And one of the greatest problems I believe we have In this generation That we're seeing the fruit of it all over the place Is because this culture neglects the vertical axis Everything on the horizontal axis is jacked up That's the right word for it It's just not right because we live in a culture that has become self centered and the self is the focus, and the problem when the self is the focus, nobody cares about anybody else because all they care about is how do you relate to me and do you give me what I want, which is not going to make a healthy society it 's going to make it 's going to be a relational there won 't be relationships, and all the relationships will be fractured, and everybody 's in it for themselves and that 's what we 're seeing in our culture right now we 're seeing the disintegration of community because everybody's so self-focused but what's amazing is is that when you and i by the power of the holy spirit begin to experience god on that vertical axis god then changes the way we deal with everybody because god says listen yeah you know what you're doing there you're being totally selfish and i love you too much to keep you that way so let's work on that i don't want you to be selfish and it's not healthy when you're selfish it's actually destructive when you're selfish you won't learn that if everything you focus on is on the horizontal the vertical access is what informs everything So in giving the ten commandments, it's vertical first knowing that the vertical if that is taken care of the horizontal stuff makes total sense So it began with You'll have no other gods before me and we spent a whole message and I think if you go back to when we did the book of exodus We spent a whole message on that one on that one time, too. So it begins with God has to have the place, the true and living God, the creator and sustainer, the God who created and sustains everything, the God who is sovereign over all of creation. That God needs to be the primary focus. You should put nothing in front of that God. And we talked a lot about how if we choose to break the first commandment, when we choose to put something in front of God, you will break all the other commandments. So if you put, let's say, if you put materialism or you put your accumulation of the things you want in front of the true and living God, then you might steal and you might murder to get the things that you want. See, if you put your seeking human fulfillment in physical intimacy before God, then you might commit adultery. See, the act of adultery is preceded by putting something before the true and living God. So if you break the first commandment, all the others fall. So it begins with no other gods before me. Now, when you get into verse 8 here, it says, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image, the likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, verse 9, you shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands and to those who love me and who keep my commandments. So this is the... Second commandment, it is the prohibition against no graven images. So you could read this in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6 again. Now, you might say, okay, so no graven image. You shall not make any image of anything that's in the heavens above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth, right? So really what's going on here is God is saying, because I, you don't put any other gods before me, you can't create a God that you're going to worship and bow down to. So now in the time of Moses and in the time of Jesus, every culture had all sorts of deities. And in the West, we don't have that. But if you've, if you've ever traveled outside of the Western Hemisphere, I've been to places like Nepal and India. And this stuff still goes on. But we don't see it on a daily basis or unless you go to some of the more hippie kind of cities around here. You'll see the little statues. You can buy those little statue here and there. So it is in some of those places who we'll have the new age leaning. But in the West, by and large, people don't worship. They don't have like a little statue and say, I bow down and worship that God every day. It happens infrequently here, but if you travel around, you'll see a lot of it in the, on the globe still to this day. So really what this is, is this is a prohibition against creating a humanly fashioned God that you call God. Now, what it doesn't mean, because some people say you should have no image of uh, something in the heavens above or in the earth, and so then people are like, well, okay, if we have an image, then you shouldn't have a cross because that's an image. Notice, if you think about the Bible, you always have to put it in the context of the whole Bible, right? So these verses exist from Genesis to Revelation in the entire context. Now, don't remember, after after God gave Moses the Ten Commandments the first time, didn't he tell him to build the tabernacle? And in the tabernacle, he say, hey, like, well, I want you to take these angels. I want you to meet these angels with the wings covered over the mercy seat. And, oh, and on, on all the inside, there's all this decorative stuff. I want you to have doves and birds and all this stuff. Do you remember all that? So God said, don't make any graven images. And then he prescribed all this beautiful artistic stuff in the tabernacle. So the key is, is nothing to worship. So if you love stars, it's not like the Bible says, Don't make nice things of stars because it's a graven image. The problem isn't the stars. The problem is, do you worship your representation of what God has created? This is a prohibition against worshiping the true God in a false way. And so the stars are beautiful, but the stars are not God. God created the stars and he sustains the stars. If you love the sun... Right? If you just like, if, you know, and and all of us here in the Northwest, we kind of, we start to miss the sun and we kind of long for it a little bit because it gets cloudy and rainy and we start to get depleted with vitamin D and all that stuff. But the thing is, is you can like the sun, but the sun isn't God. God made the sun. The sun is created by the creator. And so the key is we should not worship anything as the creator that is created by the creator. And Romans chapter one speaks about this, doesn't it? It talks about the human's heart's inclination to worship what is created rather than the creator. And if we all look at our hearts, we make the mistake of wanting to cherish and place in the seat of worship things that are created rather than the creator. And so the key here is we want to make sure that we don't seek to worship the true God in a false way. That's the key here. And don't miss the fact that in John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the idea is, is, although God is personal, God is spirit. God, in some sense, is formless. Now, when you start saying, okay, so if God is formless, what is the deal with, you know, Isaiah seeing the Lord on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple, and all of the, what we would call, anthropomorphisms of the Bible. So you have to realize that God is without form, but in God's interactions with people, the Bible is full of using human-style language because we don't have the capacity or the reference point to be able to understand God in his infiniteness within the framework of infinity, because guess what? None of us understand infinity. Can we all agree with that? I have friends who are quantum physicists And they're like, yeah, you know, like, I'm like How do you do that? They're like, it's kind of crazy, you know It's like, we're out on a limb We're talking about things that we don't quite understand But we kind of understand And we realize that when you're trying to express Expansive, ethereal concepts Using the language of finite beings You have to take some liberties there And so the Bible is full of anthropomorphisms Like even calling God a he God The true and living God is not male, but God is father in the Bible is a necessary distinction because in the culture, when this was written, the father was the patriarch of the family. He was the provider of the family and the protector of the family, right? And so if you would have called God mother in the Bible, it would add a whole different set of implications. So when you call God, he, he gets the masculine pronoun, but not that God has a great cosmic phallus, so to speak. He's not genderized in that way. And don't miss the fact that Jesus, in talking about God's heart and his own heart, uses very maternal language, like how I wanted to be a mother hen who pulled you under my wings and protected you. So we have to realize that in speaking of God, we have to use language that we can all grasp, but we don't want to over-literalize the language. Does that make sense? And so it's important that we realize that because When we talk about God being a He and God having feelings and God being angry and all these things We have to realize that we're trying to express infinite ideas in language All of us are tied to finiteness and so there's a Grasping for language here And so when Jesus says God is spirit And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth This plays into this idea Of not having any graven image I mentioned Romans chapter 1 Paul said it this way Professing to be wise they became fools And changed the glory Of the incorruptible God Into an image made like Corruptible man and birds And four-footed animals and creeping things So the idea is that we make The mistake of wanting to Bring God down to what is created rather than leaving God in the place of the creator and the infinite. And we have that issue. And so it's about worshiping the true God and worshiping him in the right way as opposed to in the wrong way. Now it's interesting that in verse nine, not only does it say we shouldn't worship, we shouldn't make any created image to bow down and worship it, but notice what it says. It says in the middle of verse nine, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commands. Now, the fact that God is a jealous God. Now, we see this a lot... And I realize that not everyone's here at every message. So for so many people, the idea of God being a jealous God is an off-putting thing. Because when you think of the idea of someone who's jealous, you always think of somebody who is radically insecure. And the reason that they're jealous is because their insecurity is running amok. And we always see jealousy as a negative thing. But you have to realize that true love is jealous for that love. Right, So when it says that God is a jealous God, it doesn't mean that God is insecure and that if you don't love God, God can't handle it. See, God is jealous for you because God cares about you just the way any spouse is jealous for their spouse and doesn't want to share their spouse with someone else if they really love them. As a parent, you're jealous for the blessing of your children. Why? Because you're their parent. And you want what's best for them. And you're passionate about them. And when your child makes bad decisions, you kind of get your parenting on. My kids call it major mom or major dad. It's like your fun mom and your fun dad until something goes down. And then you become major mom or major dad. It's kind of like all of a sudden you turn on the protective parent where I love my kids. And so I don't want my children to do things that will hurt them or hurt other people or mess up their lives. And so when that happens, I'm jealous for the blessing of my children. And that jealousy is not, Lord willing, is not, coming out of my insecurities or Lynn's insecurities, but it's part of my passion for my kids or my passion for my spouse. And so you have to realize that if God is perfect, then God's jealousy is not some sort of insecurity, but God's jealousy is part of his perfections because God knows that when we worship God, who is the only true God in the right way, all of the blessings that God wants to be a part of our life, We'll follow that. But if we choose to either not worship the true and living God or worship the true and living God in a false way, God cannot bestow upon us all the blessings that he created for us. And so God's jealousy is for our blessing. And you see, he's a jealous God, and it's the visiting of the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. So either for those who hate God and are against God, then there is the judgment for that. And then in verse 10, but those who love him and keep his commandments, God shows his mercy. Now, first thing, visiting the iniquity on the third and fourth generation. People like to call this generational curses. The idea is that God holds each person responsible for their own actions, right? But we all know, and if you've ever read the sociological or the psychological research, the research on the sins of your parents becoming the sins of the children are very, very high. Like the percentages, if you had a parent who was an alcoholic you becoming an alcoholic, much higher percentage. If your parents were abusive, you becoming abusive, much higher percentage. Not because I wanted to, because the Bible says, that's just what the research tells you, because what, there's the power of socialization that happens in someone's life. And so we get used to whatever we're used to, and that feels normalized. And in some ways, the iniquity of the parents being pushed down to the children, the parents socialize the children, and then unless something changes, what the parents gave you, you moves forward. Now in Christ, you all have to know that generational curses do not exist because Jesus nips those things in the bud. Just because your parents were whatever your parents were, doesn't mean you have to be that. And Jesus gives you the power to not be that. And also to see the fact to see the fact that what you received from your parents was not in accordance with God's best and God's perfect plan, and they were broken and flawed, just as you are broken and flawed, but you're not going to make the same mistakes. I remember when I was a young pastor, I was an assistant pastor, and one of the elders at the church that I was at, this great man, Mike and Kathy, I just loved them. Mike was a fire chief in San Francisco. His wife, Kathy, and they were both all Irish, and they were both came from generations of alcoholics. And sure enough, they got married, they didn't know the Lord, and they were both raging alcoholics. It was what they had known, their entire family. And then they got radically saved, right? And I'll never forget it because they said, they said, Daniel, they said, we were just drop-down dead drunks, and our parents were, and our grandparents were, and every aunt and uncle we had, every time there was a party, everybody was just hammered. And she's like, and we were living the generational curse until Jesus entered our lives, And it's beautiful because now they had four kids, their four kids, none of them are drinkers or have drinking problems. And that whole thing just stops because Jesus intervened. And I think that's the key because you can't change the family of origin that you had. You can't change the stuff that you saw, but Jesus can take what you saw and he can forgive your past, but he'll lead you into a new future. So if you're here today or you're listening online or you're hearing this on the radio and you're thinking, well, my parents and my parents and I'm walking down the same road. You don't have to walk down that road. Allow Jesus to lead you through the narrow gate, down the difficult way that few find, but it leads to life. But you have to say, Lord, I want to love you and I want to honor you and I want to walk with you. And I'm going to go against the grain of what comes naturally. So this does not have to be your testimony. Whatever the sins of the par- your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents or aunts and uncles are does not have to be your testimony. But you get to choose that. And you choose that by either loving God and seeking to honor Him or choosing to reject God because of whatever the garbage you received. And for all of us, no matter how great your parents were, and some of you were blessed with some pretty awesome parents, They were still broken and fallen and not perfect and at best forgiven by Jesus. And so all of us, in some ways, came from a dysfunctional family. But the beauty is, is the grace of God helps us forgive the dysfunction in our families. We live in a culture that just wants to blame our dysfunction on our parents and on our families and play the victim for the rest of our lives. And that's not the life that Jesus called us to. Does this make sense? So the idea is you don't have to experience the curses of the iniquity of your family. But you might be choosing it right now. And I've been a pastor long enough and in a congregation the size of Crossroads. I would be naive to think that everybody is choosing to honor God. Follow his commandments. Respond to Jesus in obedience. And for some of you right now, you're playing with fire right now. You got to stop. I mean, I remember my dad used to say, Daniel, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. But, you know, you hear that stuff, and you're like, but you still play with fire, and you think you're the one person who's not going to get burned by it. But then you wise up after a while, because you get burned enough times. You get enough stabs. And you're like, i got to stop this. Jesus is...
1: The study we did today with Pastor Daniel in the book of Deuteronomy reminded us that we can't have idols ahead of God. Our Creator wants us to experience His love to the fullest, and we can't do that if we aren't fully invested in following Him. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel.
0: God has been doing some amazing things at Crossroads. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is our new campuses. We launched a brand new campus in southwest Portland. So if you're in the area, I'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship Sundays at 10 a.m. Our online campus is reaching the entire world. And we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9, 11, or 1 p.m., or Wednesdays at 7 p.m., at CrossroadsLive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next episode of Jesus Israel Radio.
1: Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel shares how the Ten Commandments can be practically applied to our lives. We'll be asked to examine how we spend our days and how they could be reworked to follow Jesus' will instead of our own. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, Refresh. Please glance at the clock right now. And make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.